My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you, put it in perspective. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. We used to call it the era of good feelings. No, I don't mean the decade after the War of 1812 when our country really only had one political party, which is where that moniker comes from. No, I'm talking about this week of Thanksgiving where the buyers pay up and the sellers walk away. Sell, sell, sell. It's almost as if there's a selling ban. Hence the Dow's 161-point gain today. S&P advancing 0.65%. NASDAQ falling 1.06%. Fresh all-time highs across the board. House of pleasure. What makes for an era of good feelings in the stock market? Well, we have to go and resort to the tape. I want to give you some examples so you know how to spot this kind of behavior. Let's start with... The stock of Apple. It's soaring. Why? This is how you know it's an year of good feelings. What do you do? You go and you check out the news flow. What do we have? A half dozen articles about how Apple's HomePod is way behind Amazon's machine and how the device is late for the holidays. Negative, 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 negative. What's the stock do? Rallies three bucks. Why? Because the sellers are on strike. How about Facebook? FB. Let's see. You go check the news flow. What do we have? BuzzFeed has a negative piece about how Facebook may be kicked out of Russia. Plus, Mark Cuban, friend of the show, posted an important tweet describing how Facebook and Alphabet could be the biggest losers if this if the government's really getting serious about antitrust law and fighting against concentrated corporate power. As Cuban explained, you can see the lawyers for ATT challenging the Justice Department by talking about the really dominant players, and we're talking about Facebook and Alphabet. They'll probably say the power of the big Internet companies is so great that ATT has no choice but to acquire Time Warner just to stay in the relevant race. It's a natural defense. Personally, I don't see this administration suddenly getting aggressive on antitrust when aside from this one deal, they've been incredibly laissez-faire. But even if that's true, this still should have been a bad day for Facebook and Alphabet, regardless of the government's motives. This does look bad for them. So what happens? Facebook stock rallies three, Alphabet up 16. Then there's mm bad Campbell's Soup, which reported a hideous quarter with a tremendous drop off in sales. And it says that whatever they do, it simply isn't good enough. Stock got cr- just got, it got, it got crushed. It fell $4, 8%. It wasn't an indictment. Just of Campbell's, though. It was an indictment of the whole center of the supermarket. So what happens? Initially, we get some bad pin action. General Mills, perhaps the most akin to Campbell's, sees its stock get crushed a couple of points before the market even starts. But then what happens? The sellers dry up and buyers come in. Year of good feelings. Whole group should have been obliterated. But the seller's strike allowed Kraft Heinz, a packaged food play, to go higher. General Mills basically did nothing. What a moment. 
Next up, yeah, I've been recommending the square for ages. I mean, it got a quadruple there because the payment processing space is on fire. And that stock's been a fabulous performer. But ever since the company announced a pilot program for Bitcoin trading, which Sarah Fryer, the CFO, talked about when she appeared on our show last week, the stock's been nonstop higher. It's incredible. But people are desperate for any stock that's even remotely a Bitcoin play. So they seize on Square, sending a stock up another $2.85 today, 6.3%. The buying doesn't stop. Another example. For months, we've been told that the rally and everything related to the building blocks of personal computers simply can't last. Sooner or later, the supply of DRAMs or disk drives will overwhelm demand. The equilibrium will be crushed and the whole edifice will crumble. No. In this era of good feelings, money managers suspend their critical faculties, which helps explain why the stocks of Micron and Western Digital keep climbing. It's almost as if these longtime worries have up and vanished. But nothing's changed. The sellers are just letting the stocks lift and the buyers are reaching like mad. They continue to buy the stock of Marvell Tech, which is acquiring Cavium to move away from just disk drives and focus on the Internet of Things, adding billions of dollars in market cap overnight. More on that later when we speak to Marvell CEO Matt Murphy. For now, all you need to know is that the acquirer stock is supposed to go down, especially when they're paying up for part of the deal with stock. Yet Marvell's stock has now run up dramatically two days in a row. More symptoms of the era of good feelings. Cracker Barrel reports a revenue miss. Roadside Food Emporium stock just craters, falling $6.4%. Hey, what is this? The entire food industry should be down right yet. McDonald's rallies, Wendy's source, restaurant brands, it's just up. Okay, so Darden got hurt in Chipotle. I mean, what can I tell you, right? <clears throat> but the broader group is unscathed. No real negative pin action here. Remarkable. We keep hearing that the transports are rolling over, right? Perhaps because of what the NAFTA talks might bring. None of the old timers wants to buy the market if the transports are acting badly. Today, out of nowhere, buyers come rushing in for the rails of all things. The rails! All aboard! Despite a tough backdrop, industry leader Norfolk Southern sees the stock soar. Kansas City Southern, KSU, the rail that would most be hurt by any changes in NAFTA, rallies strongly. Now, this may be an era of good feelings, but some groups feel more good than others. Even with crude creeping up, there's plenty of resistance to owning anything in the oil complex. It's still for sale. Sellers aren't walking away. A disappointing report from DSW, the off-price shoe chain, and an inline number from Burlington Stores helped bring down the off-price group and its ultimate suppliers like PVH and Under Armour, which lost its footwear cheap today. Hmm. And tonight, Hewlett Packard Enterprise announced a disappointing quarter. Also told us that CEO Meg Whitman will step down as CEO in February of next year. But we should recall that she gave you a 200% shareholder return in total since 2012. Got to count the spinoffs. And the stock of Salesforce is trading all over the place in after hours. But suffice it to say, it was another darn good quarter that had basically been pre-announced two weeks ago. I bet the negatives are forgotten by Friday and the buyers come right back in. Ooh, GE. Okay, let's discuss it. General Electric stock gets hit by a price target cut from John Inch, responsible fella over at Deutsche Bank. The verbiage is brutal. And I quote, we remain surprised at GE's upbeat tone and pitch. End quote. I guess he wants to be depressed. Right? He wants John Flannery to be like, I'm really sorry. Not going to get that. Flannery's sticking with some of the fancy accounting measures that were used by his predecessor. And, and, uh, and he seems somewhat oblivious to the collapse in both cash flow and profit that's swirling around the portfolio, according to Inch. Very negative piece. Hurt the stock. But the selling, again, has been limited to GE and nothing else. The other industrials just keep 
flying. How long does the era of good feelings last? It's usually a Thanksgiving phenomenon, Thanksgiving week. That said, with this market, who knows? Maybe investors simply decided they should pay more for the same earnings numbers, giving us the gift of multiple expansion. The bottom line, I got an idea. If you really are scared of this market like so many are, if you truly believe there will be a crash or something terrible is out there, a view I do not subscribe to, then feel free to use the ear of good feelings to lighten up. Nobody ever got hurt selling into strength. I need to speak to Jack in Tennessee. Jack! Hey, Jim. Go Philadelphia Eagles. You bet. Even in Tennessee, they got the fever. What's going on? Oh, man, I don't know. I went and bought that KNOP where everybody was touting is going to be a strong buy, and it fell through the floor. Yeah, that's for certain. Um, yeah, well, you know, these uh, offshore partners are all getting killed. I got no defense for these stocks. I mean, there's just like too many people just saying, hey, I got to get out, and he's got a 10% yield. I got to see if that yield's good. But, yeah, I mean, I know the feeling. That group is awful, even despite the era of good feelings. Let's go to Edward in Sweet Home, Alabama. Edward. Hey, big booyah from Alabama, Jim. Oh, roll. But you know what? We also got a lot of good schools in there. We don't want to be limited just to Alabama. What's up? Yeah, we're we're War Eagle here. so uh, War Eagles, big game. Yeah, big game Saturday, man. Hey, do you know know that my my wife's sister-in-law's was an Eaglette? Get out. Yeah, I'm not kidding. She's a war eagleette. Can you beat that? No, I love it. I think it's great. I I think we're probably a little off topic, but I had to point that out. What's up? All right, listen up. With the media, with the media wars and the increased valuation of content, I'm talking Viacom. You know, uh, great assets, kind of overlooked. Has been beat up this year. Yeah. It's cheap. What about those assets? Yeah, I, well, I mean, no, I mean, that's going to be uh, like the University of Florida football program this year. Uh, I, sorry. Um, what I really think, if you want to be there, go with Discovery with that merger because uh, that John Malone uh, is, you know, David Faber did a fabulous interview. I prefer you to be in that one. I need to go to Sam in Illinois. Sam. Mr. Kramer, how are you today? Couldn't be better. Thank you for asking. How about you? Good. First, I want to wish you and your family a very happy Thanksgiving. Right back at you. Um, I remember a co- uh, company, Twillo, which started out kind of low. Mm, uh, went no. to like 32. Right. Um, I got out at 32, got in at 24. Now, okay. I'm in a company called Yext, Y-E-X-T. We like Yext. I mean, it's like unusual them? to have a technology company based in New York, but we like Yext. Had them on, and I think you're in good company there. I think you're in good shape. We want to own Yext. All right. We are in an era of good feelings, as represented by the fact even tonight, Exalta got a higher bid. Philly Zone, that's why I mentioned it. I call it, they're on the Eagle scoreboard. Don't forget the War Eaglets. Okay, it's a Thanksgiving phenomenon, but the market, who knows? It likes what it sees. Oh, man, money tonight. The ATT Time Warner deal may have hit a speed bump yesterday, but not all is lost in the MA world. I'm eyeing a $6 billion deal you may have missed. Then is the market newcomer floor and decor. Still looking for a floor after the up and down action earlier this year? I'm eyeing the company after its post IPO lockup that nobody's talking about, except for me. And Brunswick has been taking on water lately, but not my whaler, with the stock down over 10% in the past month. But can the company sail away from the pain? Come sail away. I've got the CEO. And stick with Kramer. 
Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Just because the government's trying to block the ATT Time Warner deal, that doesn't mean you should give up on all mergers. In reality, this is an amazing time for takeovers. Witness what happened yesterday and again today when Marvell Technology, the semiconductor company with a lot of networking communications and storage exposure, announced its plans to acquire Cavium for about $6 billion in cash and stock, and the thing was off the races. This was a widely anticipated deal. Yet both stocks surged on the news. Cavium up nearly 11%. Marvell up more than 6%. And that's the acquirer. In fact, Marvell vaulted another 7.8% today on top of that. Whatever the acquirer stock goes up on a takeover, you know they're doing something right. This is only the latest merger in a wave of semiconductor consolidation. But I think Marvell and Cavium complement each other perfectly. This could be a phenomenal connectivity play. Don't take it from me. Let's dig deeper with Matt Murphy, the president and CEO of Marvell Technology. Hear more about this Cavium deal and what it means. Mr. Murphy, welcome to Man Money. Have a seat, Matt. Okay, so first of all, I can't call it anything else. A star is born. It's almost as if this is the true two plus two equals five. Walk us through why an acquirer stock is going higher. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And we think that this combination is fantastic on a number of levels. And we're actually pleasantly surprised at the reaction. I think investors have really embraced this because when you put these two companies together, you've got the best of breed to provide the leading company to do silicon software and solutions for the cloud to the edge and everything in between. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we all, always talk about automotive. I, geez, you guys really were the inventor of the Wi-Fi car. That's right. Actually, in automotive. And by the way, if you talk about edge computing, it's the ultimate edge computing application. Right. You know, Marvell in 2011 was the first company to enable a Wi-Fi connected car, which was the Audi R8 at right. that time. And we've subsequently improved in that area, as well as now we've got a whole new product line in Ethernet in the car which basically connects all of the different ECUs in the vehicle together, and it's an enabler of autonomous vehicles. Well, can't that be the standard for when, as we go toward autonomous vehicles? We think it has to be the standard. Has to be the standard. You can't sort of live with the current architecture where you have all these legacy interfaces, right. all these legacy connections. Think of it as dial-up modem capability right. today going to T1 inside the car, connecting okay. the entire network of the car, just like the processors, you hear about NVIDIA and Intel right. and others. You need a network, high-speed network on Ethernet to support the connectivity inside the vehicle right. to do autonomous. Now, I, I should be, I'd be remiss if I didn't say that you came in as part of a team uh, put on by a, a very smart group of people, Starboard, including uh, right. they took Rick Hill, too. Yep. And you remade the company. I mean, this is a $10 stock that everyone thought was, uh, had major issues. Mm-hmm. Just talk about the arc of turning it around before you can get to this point. Sure. So very much a challenging environment right. uh, when I came in, which was July of 2016. You know, the thing about Marvell is it's an iconic company. Right. It's got great technology, great, great bones and great engineering and mm-hmm. products. And I knew that from, from dealing with the company right. and knowing it for some time. So coming in in terms of the arc of the company, you know, the first thing was to get the financials healthy. Right. 
get a management team built, which we did, um, and get the company refocused. And I think that's really led us to where we are today. We refocus fundamentally on storage, networking, cloud, and infrastructure as the key drivers for our company's future. And that's now set us up over the last year to grow our top line, make a ton of progress with customers, and then enable us with the balance sheet we've got to actually go off and combine with Cavium. Now, what's also interesting is that a lot of people had pigeonholed Marvell as like if it were just Seagate because it did right. disk drive. This lowers the amount of disk drive, so therefore raises the That's price right. earnings multiple. It worked. That's right. Yeah, there was concern when I got in, rightly so, mm-hmm. on the concentration of the hard drive business. Right. The right. business Even itself. It was the best. It's it a great matter. business, right. right? Got great customers, great technology, great team, but it was a large business. You know, close to 40% right. of sales when I got there, when you combine with Cavium and you factor in the growth that we're seeing, it goes down to more like 25% of the company. And of that 25%, actually a good portion of that is actually growing within hard drives. Okay. All the drives that go into the data center or enterprise, the big capacity drives, the near-line drives, that's a growing segment of the hard drive market. Now, explain to me the relationship with ARM holdings, because when we think of ARM or thought of ARM, it was the competitor to Intel. Mm-hmm. And ARM had really fabulous technology. Why? It looks like you partner with them on a lot of things. That's right. Yeah. As Marvell, we were an early ARM partner. Their technology is embedded in almost every product we do. We sell standalone ARM processors, but we also use their CPU cores in almost all of our system on chip products. So long-term partnership with ARM. When you move to Cavium, another long-term partner of ARM. And they've actually pushed the ARM technology to the leading edge, which is server class CPUs for data centers. So, I mean, this is kind of a remark. I mean, again, I want to say it's cloud data center enterprise service provider, small, medium size. That's a new uh, industrial. I mean, it is all the things that are the Internet of things. And that's what you guys are now. That's right. We really think of it especially as the industrial Internet of things. It's the pure play in this. I mean, I've got a lot of companies that dabble. I've got a lot of companies that have 20%, and they want to be Internet of Things. You have given uh, Wall Street the stock that they want. I think so. I mean, what the reaction we've gotten over the last few days as I've met with investors is they love the fact that you're getting a pure play, infrastructure, cloud-levered, IoT-levered company that really takes care of all the interconnections within the cloud and to the edge. At the device level, we have some solutions for that, too. But primarily, once the data gets onto the Internet, right. that goes all through Marvell and Cavium technology. Well, congratulations on everything you've done. A lot of people gave up on the stock. There were a lot of people who had sells on it the yeah. whole time you were fixing it. A little rough. And yeah. just now, some of them are saying, well, wait a second. Maybe my $10 price target's no longer good. Now you're in the that's mid-20s. Right. Anyway, that's Matt Murphy, the president and CEO of Marvell Technology Group. A star is born. And that's how it can go higher. Dead Money's back after the break. Everybody in this business loves IPOs, and they tend to get a lot of coverage, including from yours truly. But in all honesty, unless we're dealing with something that looks uniquely good or uniquely bad, There's no need to jump all over newly minted public company right after the deal. In fact, in many cases, I find it's far better to wait. Lately, we've seen so many sliver deals, that's my term for them, where a company comes public but only actually sells a very small percentage of its shares as part of the IPO. 
Then six months later, the lockup on insider selling expires. They dump a ton of shares, and the name in question just gets hammered. This has happened so many times that I almost feel like instituting a post-IPO waiting period for all but the best merchandise. Give it six months, and then reassess once the lockup is over. Tonight, we're putting that rule in practice. Yep, we're playing Know Your IPO with a company that came public seven months ago, Floor and Decor, FND for you home gamers. Floor and Decor is a specialty retailer of hard surface flooring and related accessories. 82 warehouses, format stores, cross warehouse format, you know, the wide open thing, across 20 states. Now, on some level, I am indeed kicking myself for not highlighting this thing before it came public. Floor and Decor, I didn't think anyone would really be that interested. It debuted in April, 21 bucks, and its first day, it was trading at 32 bucks and change. That's where it closed, giving anyone who got in the deal a gigantic 50% gain. It was overlooked. The stock surged up to $47 in June, but then it went into a tailspin. By late August, Floor and Decor had come right back down to 32 bucks and change. Since then, though, the stock has made up those losses, and as of today, it's rebounded to $39. In fact, it's been trading sideways at this level for months. But the story has started looking very different in the past few weeks for one simple reason. The 180-day lockup period on insider selling expired a month ago, and Floor and Decor seemed to be handling it just fine. So now that the lockup has ended and we haven't been deluged with newly unrestricted shares, it's time to take a closer look at Floor and Decor to see if it might be worth owning. First, let's consider the concept. Floor and Decor operates huge, easy-to-navigate warehouse stores where they sell the industry's broadest in-stock assortment of tile, wood, laminate, and natural stone flooring, along with lots of other decorative and installation accessories, all at everyday low prices. Basically, it's a one-stop shop for all your flooring needs. And believe me, if you ever remodel your house, you'll need a lot of floor. The company serves both professional contractors and do-it-yourself customers. They want to pick out their own tile or wooden person. Over the last few years, Floor Decor has invested heavily in growing the business, upgrading its technology, its workforce, and its products. With this foundation in place, management believes they can nearly quintuple their store count. How much do we like that? Bringing the footprint up to roughly 400 locations within the next 15 years. That'd be pretty impressive growth trajectory if they can deliver it. I believe they can, since the new stores here tend to pay for themselves within the first two or three years. And I'm inclined to give management the benefit of the doubt. Why? Because Florin Decor CEO Tom Taylor, who took over in 2012, comes to this company by way of Home Depot which you haven't noticed, is it's just a total horse. Taylor spent 23 years at the home desk spot, ultimately becoming executive vice president of merchandising and marketing. What a resume. Speaking of Home Depot, in their most recent conference call, what did they tell us? Had probably the most robust sales? Flooring! Good sign for the whole industry, including floor and decor. But enough with the squishy kind of ethereal stuff. Let's talk numbers. So far in 2017, floor and decor has seen its sales accelerate, but they're slowing down from very high levels. Last year, the company had 34% revenue growth. By the first quarter of 2017, it had shrunk to 30%, and in the most recent quarter, it came in at 26.8%. Trend seems worrisome to some, but on the other hand, a retailer with 25% plus revenue growth is a very rare beast indeed, even in the relatively strong home improvement space. More importantly, the same store sales numbers have been downright stunning. For the past five years, Floor and Decor delivered figures from the low teens to the low 20s. Last year, same-store sales grew at a 19.4% clip. That's a four or five times what most are delivering. That's insane. This year, the numbers have moderated. It's still up 13.5% in the latest quarter. But that's the kind of numbers most companies would kill for. 
Oh, just a second. Let me just turn off. I have her on. I mean, I can't get rid. No, master. Yeah, you're. If I'm the master, why are you interrupting my Florida core speech? Anyway. War Eagle at Master. All right. Anyway. Oh, and that includes some major store closures caused by the hurricanes. Before Harvey and Irma, the same store sales were tracking at 15.9 percent. Wowza. And that is at the heart of the bull thesis. So not only is Florida Corp putting up new stores left and right, its existing stores continue to deliver borderline miraculous growth numbers year after year after year. I'd be more skeptical about the company's ability to sustain this, but they delivered eight consecutive years of double digit comps. If that's not enough to make you a believer, nothing is. Stay away from it. Even better, Florida Decor's outlook has actually been improving all year. When the company, look, there's a housing shortage, people redoing their homes. When the company reported its first quarter, they were only forecasting an 8 to 10% increase for 2017. Now they're predicting a 14.5 to 15% increase. I'm calling this classic UPOT, under promise, over deliver. Meanwhile, the margins are on the rise, too. I mean, I had to tell you all this stuff because it's such a good story. And that's in part because Florida Decor is not in Amazon's crosshairs. If you're remodeling your house, you really do need to see this stuff in person. Amazon, I think, cannot kill these guys. So you put it all together, get some impressive earnings growth per share, up 41% in the latest quarter. Only mild deceleration from last year's 48% figure, even though it got bigger. All right, one fly in the ointment. Go back to what I was saying at the top of this. Floor and Decor was a private equity-backed IPO, and those can come with extra complications. Sometimes these private equity guys will cut costs to the bone, lever up the balance sheet to pay themselves dividends. Then they take the company public, and often regular shareholders get burned. Fortunately, that doesn't seem to be the case here. Florida Core belonged to Aries Management and Freeman Spogley before coming public, and they seem to have a real vision for making the company into a fabulous growth field. I'd say they did an amazing job. But even smart, well-intentioned private equity backers can create problems for public shareholders. Why? Because if some P.E. firm owns half the business, what happens when they decide to ring the register? Often the stock gets hurt. And that's what happened to Florin Decor in July when its private equity backers sold 10.7 million shares of 40. Stock lost roughly 20% of its value over the next month. Then they did another sale earlier this month, selling nearly 7.5 million at 36. Deal that closed yesterday. But after dipping to 36 and changing the news, the stock bounced right back to 39, which means so far you're up nicely if you got in on the latest secondary offering. At this point, Aries owns 43% of the common stock. Freeman has about 21%. So if they want to keep selling, put some pressure on this. I wouldn't be surprised if there are more pullbacks in Florida Decor's future. So is it worth buying? I think so. The fundamentals are fabulous. The only issue is the stock's valuation. It sells for 47 times next year's earnings estimates. That looks very expensive. No one else in the industry comes close. On the other hand, this is a terrific growth story, so it will look a lot cheaper in the out years. Given that the company has 27% long-term growth rate, it definitely deserves a high-priced earnings multiple. Maybe this is a little too high. Bottom line, I like floor and decor here. But with the private equity overhang and the nosebleed valuation, maybe worth being patient. I suggest maybe you wait for the next slug of selling from the PE guys or a serious dip before you do any buying. But I am blessing the buying for floor and decor. I love that name. Floor and decor. John in Georgia. John. How are we doing, Jim? Man, I'm having a real bang up day. How about you? Oh, not too bad. Not too bad. Want to check with you on Beacon. Tell me what you know. Got a lot of positive research this very morning. I think Beacon's cheap. Did you see Owen's Corning? That stock's on fire, too. Anything related to housing. Let's throw in Fortune Brands. Uh, how about we go to Steve? Oh, Steve in New Hampshire. Steve. Hi, Jim. Steve. Um, I want to get your take on Duluth Holdings. 
DLTH. Yeah, it's uh, getting smoked. You know, I think it should be higher. I'm going to buy. I'm going to suggest Cintas, which is better because they make the. You know, the Cintas is all about the uniforms. I'm watching the square go up higher again. Sarah Fryer. It's unstoppable. Can I go to... Squared. Can I go to... We should start calling it squared. Is your microphone on? I'm trying to talk here. Let's go to Chris in Pennsylvania, please. Chris. Hey, Jim. Thanks. It's Chris and uh, Chris from the Bucolic uh, Workers' Paradise of Pennsylvania, Jim. Good I to love Bucolic. Are you from this, the uh, Pittsburgh side or more than the Philly side? No, no, no. The northeast part, Scranton. Is there any other part? No, a lot of Kramers in Scranton. We got a hardware store yeah. there. What's going on? It, it, it's all good. Hey, Jim, I got two native sons that have been putting me in the house of pain, right? Really? Two, two native sons, Pennsylvania stocks, HSC and FNB, and I just want to get your opinion. Um, let me get the symbols. HSC, Horsco, HSC. Oh, God, Horsco and Campbell. It's such a good company, Chris. It's such a good company. You can't. It's up, 40, it's up 32% for the year. What was the other? He's gone. Yeah. Chris is gone. Chris is gone. He's, we'll the house of pain is not Harsco. I think that he should stick with it. I mean, of those three, Beacon is the best. But I like Owens Corning. All right. Want to renovate your portfolio? I like floor and decor. But only around 35. Be patient. Hey, you know what? That's the key to investing oftentimes, including this one. All right, much more Mad in, including my exclusive with Brunswick Corp. Can the company move past the rough seas and start moving higher? I'm sitting down with the CEO. Then there are plenty of bubbles right now, but none of them have to do with stocks, and I'll point out what I'm watching. And all your calls, rapid fire, Master is doing the lightning round. So stick with Kramer. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. This thing reads like you're in the Overlook. Like you're in the what? All work, all work and no play makes Jack a very dull boy. Ain't you ever seen The Shining? Yes. Okay. Got it. Red Room. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. Some great companies just can't seem to catch a break now and then. Take Brunswick Corporation, B.C., the world's largest maker of recreational boats, along with boat engines and exercise equipment business. A little less than a month ago, the company reported a disappointing quarter, and the stock swiftly lost 15% of its value. What went wrong? Brunswick missed on both the top and the bottom line. Beyond that, management cut their full-year guidance. They said a disruption from the hurricanes, well, some weakness in exercise equipment. Now, some of this is understandable. Who wants to buy a Boston whaler during a period when the whole Gulf Coast was getting pounded by some truly nasty storms. Now, there are no misses amiss. What do we make of the story? Let's check, take a closer look with Mark Schwaber. He's the chairman and CEO of Brunswick Corporation. Get a better sense of how his company's doing and where it is headed. Mr. Schwaber, welcome back to Mad Money. Good to see you, sir. Good to be back, Tim. Thank you. Okay, so uh, momentary disruptions or something that we have to worry about for Brunswick because you are the best at what you do. Yeah, I think, I think the fact we took the guidance down a little bit Talks about some things we're seeing in the marketplace that may continue a little bit, more so in big boats and uh, the fitness segment. But a reminder, the 
vast majority of our business is someplace else, and it was doing extremely well. Yep. Yeah, well, I mean, let's talk about the fitness for a second, because I like that business. But you said North America is slowing and Europe is slowing. How does that turn within the next couple of months? I guess it can't. Well, the fact we took the right. guidance down says it doesn't turn within months. But right. we're, we've got a number of things. We've got a great new line of cardio products that is coming out mm-hmm. that we're part of. Uh, you know, we also, from the standpoint of uh, things we're doing on the standpoint of customer solutions, moving beyond just the pure product. So at our recent analyst day here on November 7th, we had an opportunity to really talk about, you know, what that customer solutions piece will be for the business. Now, you are doing a lot of uh, adding a lot of technology to all of uh, uh, all of your products. One that's really stuck really stuck out for me and something that I need very badly. Autonomous docking. Now, this would be something that uh, this and joystick are two things that I think a lot of people have wanted for a long time. Yeah. And the joystick is really there today, as well as what we call skyhook holding a boat in position. Right. Uh, Autonomous docking is still something we're working on. But the capabilities you know, are really there to keep exploiting technology for marine applications. Well, let's talk about longer term, because one of the things that you do discuss is millennials and how uh, we know, first of all, fishing is the second most popular outdoor activity. But you're talking about millennials using boats in a different way um, through different participation models, boat clubs, partial ownership. Well, this has got to be a long term trend that's positive for you guys. Yeah, no, I think. I think the whole idea of, of boat clubs is, is good, good because it, it gets people on the water. It may change to ownership over time. The other part is the fact that, you know, as you get them on the water, those boats that are in the clubs are going to get more usage, right. which will translate into other new boats. But, but again, it's, it's really uh, going to the DNA that's within a lot of millennials about wanting to be on the water. Right, because, I mean, it's a great opportunity. We live, they love Instagram. We know they love snapping. I thought that the logical trend would be millennials to family boaters to committed boaters. And Correct. These really are gateway. Yeah. It's a gateway that maybe didn't exist at one time. No, and it's, I, I think there's two pleas. There's, there's the shared economy around boats right. with folks like Boatbound that are out there. But the other part is, you know, there's boat clubs today, and I think it's going to be a certain category of boats, but, mm-hmm. but I think it is an entry point into boating. Now, let's talk about uh, the fact that pipelines are much healthier levels than the, during the downturn in the Great Recession. And we, we mentioned large boats. You said in the last session we had almost 3,800 boats. Today the number sits at 400, so there's no sense that you really have to do big discounting to get rid of them. No, and, and also a lot of times people talk about, well, what if the cycle ends? What right. about the last time? And we're in a very, very different place today. I mean, our pipelines, as you mentioned, are, are, are very different. The aging of the inventory is right. very, very different. The makeup of even what our business is today, including our parts and accessory and our fitness, which are way, way, way right. of a different business cycle than what we looked like the last time. Okay, now after uh, Superstorm Sandy, a lot of uh, boaters got checks because everybody, you can't get a, a boat off the lot without insurance. Sure. Right. Will that, is there a possible spur from that in the Houston area, the Florida area? Yeah, I think there'll be some up to. Typically, we see that happening 12 to 18 months later. Yeah. We're getting some initial stuff, uh, you know, down in the Texas market that is a little encouraging. Okay. But, you know, September through December is only 15 
percent of the year's right. retail. Right. So they're pretty small numbers you're gauging off. But a reminder, one of the where we've really been focused on uh, our engine side is around growth in the saltwater market and right. in the repower. And so Florida, Texas, you know, we're very well positioned to take advantage of the recovery. Well, terrific. Look, I think the long-term secular growth of boating is uh, is something that has changed. That's how yes. we now have to view it. Uh, and, and same thing with exercise equipment because of all the different clubs. Mm-hmm. Correct. All right, that's Mark Schwabro, Chairman and CEO of Brunswick Corp. Tough quarter. But you know what? Multi-year growth ahead. Stay with Craig. It is time. It's time for the Nike Real Good and then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Skate Daddy! So for the lightning round, we're going to start with Peter in Massachusetts. Peter. Jimbo, big box in Booyah. Nice. What's up? I'm calling about one of my favorite long-term holds, Henry Shine. Stock's been wobbling of late, but I have a total belief. I think Stanley Burke's doing a great job. Now, Stanley... Stanley Bergman is one of these guys. He's very understated, but so much good happening at that company. I am going to stand by it, even though it has been hideous of late and down 10% for the year. Let's go to Philip in New York. Philip! Hey, Jim. How are you doing? I am Thank doing you well. How are you, Philip? for the great education that you give us. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, I have a question. Based on a November 3rd and 4th two-day drop of approximately 40%, and a lack of negative news to warrant such a decline. Has this company been unfairly punished and therefore a buy, or should we stay away? Mind you, it has a P&E of under three. The company is Kemet, K-E-M. Well, it did miss the revenue guidance, but I think you're right. There's underlying value there, and the stock can run up a bit. I think that that's a decent idea. Let's go to Jay in Minnesota. Jay. Dr. Jimmy DeMond Kramer. Whoa, man, what's up? I, in Minnesota, <laughs> look good defense. What's going on? This is Jay from Minnesota, obviously, land of 10,000 frozen lakes. Uh, Let me thank you and your staff for all your help for educating us all. Great staff. I'm wishing everybody in the staff and on the air a a happy Thanksgiving. What's up? Thank you. I'd like to get your opinion on Loxo Oncology. Okay, we rule on Loxo. We think it's a very good spec, but it is just a spec. We happen to like these small molecule cancer drug stocks. Because we believe, we do believe on the show. I'm not done. I'm going to Paul in Florida. Paul! Hey, Jim, how are you? First time caller. Deutsche Bank's made a hell of a move. What do you think? You know what? I have felt that it's undervalued for ages. It's finally starting to show its stuff. Don't sell it. Don't sell Deutsche Bank. I need manual in Illinois. Manual. Yes, sir. Thank you for everything you do for the home gamer like myself. My Ah. question is on new caller. Well, look, the Travel Trust owns the new core. We continue to stand by it. It has been a total dog. But if the president were to ever authorize the end of the dumping, then I would say, and you get a $64 stock. So we're sticking with it. We're not done this lightning round. We're still going. We're going to do this right to Thanksgiving. Let's go to Chuck in Texas. Chuck. Yeah, hi, Jim. Appreciate all the great insight and ideas you share with us. Thank you. Please, uh... Please give us your opinion on Splunk. Oh, I like that conference call. It was so smart. That's a fabulous, fabulous analytic company. I think it's great. It doesn't give Salesforce a run for the money, but it's very, very good. Okay, now we're going to New Year's. Let's go to Zach in New York. Zach. Hey, Kramer. This is Zach in Rochester, New York. 
originally oh. from Reading, Pennsylvania. I want to say, fly, eagles, fly. How about those eagles? Hey, go birds! Um, What's up? Yeah. Hey, I got a question for you on stamps.com, S-T-M-P. I got to tell you something. I, I don't mean to be sound derisive, but I cannot figure this stock out to save my life. It doubles. It goes down. It doubles. It's too hard for me. And that, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for the lightning round. The lightning round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. You know what's driving me crazy? I guess I should say even more crazy. This endless chatter about how stocks are so dangerously and hopelessly overvalued at this point in the cycle. I put air quotes around that phrase because whenever people say it, I feel like they're trying to trying real hard to put the stock market in the context of some sort of game. It, it, it's an inning. It's the uh, ninth inning. It's the fourth quarter. Or whatever time frame that resonates as well as the obvious meaning, which is something like we haven't had a recession yet, but we're about to. And if that's the case, stocks are way too expensive. What makes these conversations so painful for me? The house of pain. Because I find the reasoning moronic. Now, if I were still work, working at Goldman Sachs giving advice to rich families, I'd be telling him to go heavily into stocks here. Because while there are many bubbles out there, I don't find the stock market is one of them. Last night we heard from Udi Makati. He's the CEO of CyberArk Software, bright man. It's really a cybersecurity company. By the way, Palo Alto is good today. And, uh, you, know, so, uh, you know, Udi does his best to try to lock down the inside of an organization. Why? Why do I bring this up? Because when hackers do break in, they want money. But not just any money. For the most part, they only accept Bitcoin to ransom back your files. People pay them in Bitcoin. They pay it all over the world. At the same time, there are failing regimes all over, from Venezuela to Zimbabwe, some would say Brazil. The rich people there, they know what to do. They buy Bitcoin. So you have this currency that's been bid up to $8,000 by people anxious to move their money without government scrutiny, for whatever reason. A year ago, one Bitcoin was worth $750. You mean to tell me that's not a bubble? You think that's a safe place, a reasonable approximation of value versus the stock market? Last night, I mentioned that someone just paid $450 million for a Da Vinci. Granted, it's literally the only Da Vinci in private hands, but that's a classic example of too much money chasing too few goods. This one was either a ridiculous outlier or the new benchmark of wealth in the world. Either way, a painting is not something that generates income, and this particular painting may be a fake. Isn't that the definition of overvalued? How about real estate? In New York City, the rents for commercial real estate have gone up to the point that almost no business can afford to pay them, except ones with national tentacles. As for residential real estate, at least in Manhattan, rents have gotten so elevated that even really rich people trying to sock away wealth from Russia or China are balking. At the same time, the people who own these properties have paid off their mortgages and can't kind of afford to sit there on the properties forever, particularly in the ones that have storefronts that are empty. Does that make New York real estate a good investment? Sure, there are other towns that are less expensive, but you know what? San Francisco makes New York look cheap. I don't know if there's a lot of value left. In fact, as someone who spends a huge amount of time dabbling in real estate, remember, I can't own stocks personally. Uh, I, I do it all over the place. I'm in shock at the lengths you need to go to find anything of real value that hasn't already been bid up. And when you do find it, the location's so difficult to get to, it's not worth it. Bonds? Oh, come on. The most overvalued part of all the whole panoply. And the worst of it is the junk bar portion because you get such a low yield for a huge amount of, of risk. But then there's the dilemma of treasuries and sovereigns where there's little hope for beating inflation. Can you say bomb bubble? It's been that for a while. Don't even look at certificates of deposit. 
Uh, they haven't gone up much at all, despite all these rate hikes. Then on the other hand, there's the stock market. For a long time, I felt that other than three stocks, you could pretty much say the market was reasonably valued. And the three were ones that couldn't be gauged by traditional valuation metrics, Netflix, Amazon, Tesla. But you know what? Two of these three actually have real grounding now. According to John Malone of Liberty Media, Netflix has won the International Entertainment Distribution Channel heck of a lot better than the heavily regulated domestic channel. It's worth more than $80 billion. Amazon is now both a retailer and an incredibly undervalued tech business, thanks to its cloud division, Amazon Web Services, which we're hearing is cutting prices to keep business tonight. Tesla remains a free association situation where anyone can put any value on it. But in the last six months, we've gone from having three cold stocks that were impossible to value on the fundamentals to having just one. That's reassuring. Netflix could be worth $100 billion instead of $80 billion. Amazon could be worth a trillion. Look, the stock market does not exist in a vacuum. And as long as everything else is totally crazy and bubblicious, stocks are looking good. I don't care where we are in this cycle. I care where we are in the supermarket of investing. And right now, stocks are in the only aisle with real and obvious value. Stick with crazy. Don't forget, this week is the era of good feelings week, which means the stocks levitate because the sellers are on strike. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I'll see you tomorrow.